We're going to be in Acts chapter 27, and if you'll turn in your Bible there, we're just going to take it verse by verse and find out uh, what God has for us. Uh, You know, we all experience on life's journey uh, trials and tribulations and storms uh, that appear from time to time in our lives, and uh, so we're going to look at how do we react, how should we react Uh, We're actually going to take two different angles, and the first angle would be how the world reacts to storms of life. The second is how believers should react to storms in life. So let's get started. Verse number 1, chapter 27 of, of Acts. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners under one Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band, and entering into a ship of Adramitium, uh, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul, and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. We'll pause there for a moment and just cover a couple of details. Uh, first of all, Adramitium is located below Troas in the province of Mysia in Asia Minor. And that's uh, near Pergamos, actually. And so this is where that ship was headed that they boarded uh, in Caesarea. And uh, it says that Aristarchus was with them. Now, was Aristarchus a fellow prisoner, as Paul was on this journey? Uh, I take the position that he was not, because Adramitium was actually on the way to Thessalonica. And there's nothing in the text that suggests that Aristarchus continued when they changed ships. And so I think he was just headed home. He happened to be on the same ship and uh, didn't follow the entire journey. And then verse uh, 3 says that when they landed at Sidon, which is in modern-day Lebanon, says that Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends. So why, why would a centurion soldier courteously entreat anyone, especially a prisoner? Uh, Was it because of the kindness of his heart? Well, let's look at who he was. Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band. So that's top military brass. And you had to be pretty tough to make it that high, even as you do today. And so I don't think it was because he was such a kind fellow. Rather, I think it was because... He was instructed to treat him in a nice way. And uh, the word courteously is actually the word we get our English term philanthropy from, which is two Greek words, philos and anthropos. Anthropos meaning man or human, and philos meaning friend or one that was is loved. And, and so you throw those together, and he treated him in a humane way, as we should anyone. And then 
Also, we find that he gave him liberty to go to his friends. This was not normal procedure to release a prisoner to go and visit his friends on the journey uh, to the high court, uh, which is where he was headed. And uh, so why he did this, I believe it was because he was instructed to do so uh, by King Herod Agrippa, uh, Herod Agrippa II. Uh, Also, uh, throw this in there, in chapter 24 and verse 27, we found Felix had tried uh, Paul and found there was nothing to charge him with. And he sought a bribe from Paul, and so he actually held him uh, in uh, house, under house arrest for two years, uh, hoping to do that. And the reason he was hoping to do that was obviously to gain money. Uh, another thing that happened uh, in that verse is it says he sought to please the Jews. Dangerous thing to do, but uh, don't we find that that's what happens in judicial systems in our world today? And so Felix did it, and then when uh, Festus took over for him as the governor uh, of the province, then he likewise sought to please the Jews. And so, therefore, having found him innocent of any of these charges that they laid against him, uh, he, he just procrastinated until a day when King Agrippa came by, and he was sharing this situation with him. He said, well, I'd like to hear him uh, as well. And so King Agrippa uh, sits in, in the judgment seat, uh, listening to Paul's uh, defense of the accusations that were laid against him, and The conclusion was, is that this man should have been let go. We find that in verse 32 of the previous chapter. And so the reason that I believe he was instructed to be nice to him, being a Roman citizen, being a prisoner who actually had no charges laid against him, uh, you don't want to mistreat him. And so I think he treated him that way for a reason. And so they boarded the ship, verse 4, and when we had launched from thence, uh, we sailed under Cyprus, and because the winds were contrary, and so if you look on a map, to sail under Cyprus means to go south of it directionally, but that's not what this means because in the next verse it says that they sailed north and between us. Cyprus and Asia Minor, uh, modern-day Turkey. And so what does it mean then? Well, the word under here means under the cover of or under the protection of Cyprus. And so the winds normally came from the west, as they still do here today, uh, and Cyprus was in between the winds, the strong westerly winds, and the ship. And so that's what it means. They sailed under the protection of it or under the cover of it because the winds were contrary. Now, the point we want to make from this is that in our lives, there come into our lives contrary winds. And those contrary winds oftentimes blow into a full-fledged storm. 
And so how do we react in those contrary winds, those, those precursors to the bigger storms that we would face? Verse number five, And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city in Lycia. Uh, and there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us there in. Uh, Alexandria is in Egypt, uh, even today, and uh, they, were, they were on their way to Italy. Well, this other ship they were on wasn't. It was headed north, not into Italy, but into Greece or Macedonia. And so we, we find that he switched ships. And uh, verse number 7 tells us, And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Cnidus, the wind not suffering us, in other words, contrary winds again, we sailed under Crete over against Salmone. And hardly passing it, came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereunto is the city of Lycia. And so the situation here is, uh, they again, and, and the word under here means the same thing it did in verse 4. Uh, they sailed under the protection of that. The island of Crete blocked the westerly winds uh, from uh, hitting the boat. But even at that, the journey was very, very slow. And so uh, they became a little bit impatient in this journey. And oft times when we face the contrary winds in our lives, we become a bit impatient, don't we? Their time was running out. And so they were questioning, you know, why all of these delays? We don't understand what's going on here. And so in verse number 9 and 10, we read, Now, when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already past, Paul admonished them, said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. And so in the midst of these contrary winds that were slowing things down and they didn't understand what was going on, Paul gives a concerned warning to these people on the ship. And he was concerned because the fast was past. The fast meaning the Day of Atonement, where they fasted on the Day of Atonement, which is the 10th of Tishri, uh, which is our September-October, so last part of September, early part of October. And uh, from that time until spring, until the spring, the seas were very, very dangerous to sail on. So Paul understood this, having traveled a lot. And so he admonishes them uh, that this is a dangerous journey. Uh, this is going to get worse. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And so he warns them out of a heart of concern because of what he has perceived. And the word perceived means to look at something, 
to observe something so that you can discern what to do. Uh, It's actually the word that we get our English term theory from. And so Paul here is presenting his theory based upon his observation of things uh, that this was going to be a dangerous journey and that they were going to lose the the lading or the cargo of the ship as well as the ship and very well possibly their lives also would be in danger. And so we face these contrary winds and oftentimes we get a warning, a concerned warning. Someone throws up a red flag for us and says, hey, maybe you should just kind of slow down here and, and relax and, and step back a minute because you're headed toward danger. And uh, obviously as children of God, we ought to be warning the world that the contrary winds that they're in and experiencing uh, are, are for their hurt. And uh, we can warn them not to proceed, but to change course. So what was the reaction to this warning? Verses 11 through 13. And we'll take them a verse at a time and then give you what the, the actual point is that we're making. Nevertheless, whenever you sin, nevertheless, after a warning, you say, whoa, hang on, wait a minute, uh, Wrong direction being taken. And uh, this is what is happening here. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. What do we see here? We see the centurion who listened to the experts. Uh, We have experts today. What exactly is an expert? Well... What we see in experts is, is, is oftentimes not an expert at all. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, and he's presented to us as being an expert, but he really is not. The uh, fact of the matter is, no human being is ever going to be an expert because we don't know everything. So, uh, But he, he thought, well... I mean, this guy has sailed his entire life, and uh, certainly he knows better what's going on. Certainly he would understand that it's safe. So he listened to the expert. Verse number 12 also tells us, And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenicia, to Phoenicia, uh, and their winter, which is an haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. Phoenicia is actually Phoenix, which is on the western shore of the island of Crete, the southwestern uh, shore of Crete. And uh, it apparently was more commodious uh, to settle in for the winter. Uh, in other words, it had more to offer, uh, perhaps had more protection, even though it was further west than the Fair Havens. Uh, perhaps there was more commerce that took place. Uh, perhaps there was much more to do. Uh, we don't really understand why uh, this phrase here, uh, it's more commodious to winter in, but those would be some suggestions. 
And it says that the more part, the more part agreed, we call that the majority rules. And the majority came to the conclusion that it would be better to winter a little bit further along in the journey than to winter where they were. And so uh, the phrase, if by any means they might attain to Finike, in other words, they were willing to take the risk to be in a more comfortable position during these winter storms, these winter winds. And so he listened to the experts. He also listened to the majority. And then verse 13 says, and uh, well, let me back up and explain, uh, it, it lieth towards the southwest and northwest. Okay, the southwest and the northwest. Well, wait a minute, that's two different directions. How can that be? Well, if you look at the map of Crete, uh, the Fair Havens uh, is sort of in the middle on the southern shore, but you have to actually, the land mass, you have to go southwest and then go northwest. And so that's what it means. It's not confusing. It's not an oxymoron. It's not a mistake. It's not a typo in the scriptures. Uh, it's actually the reality of the situation. So that explains that phrase. Uh, verse 13 then says, And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. The south wind blew softly. That was a pretty good sign because the north winds was... That's where the contrary winds were coming from. And so the south wind, which would have taken them up to where they wanted to go in Phoenix, and uh, so they supposed that they had obtained their purpose. What we see here is that not only did they listen to the experts, not only did they listen to the majority, but they listened to the favorable circumstances. And folks... That's a dangerous choice because the favorable circumstances could change. And so what we see here is this is plan A. How are we going to conquer these, these headwinds, these contrary winds that we face in our lives? We followed the experts. We follow the majority. We follow the favorable circumstances, none of which, by the way, are are biblical. And so what we see here, what I classify this is as childish wisdom. That's the way children react to things. It's like, well, okay, if it's if it's in my favor, yeah, sure, I'll go that way. Not thinking of the implications of that. Uh, everybody's doing it. So I'm going to follow. Well, those who should know better have said that it's okay. All of that is childish wisdom. It's not God's wisdom. And that's what they tried to do with plan A here, is follow this childish wisdom. So how did that work out? How did that work out? Verse 14 and following. 
But not long after, so after they set sail from the, fair, from the fair havens, not long after that, there arose against it, against the ship, a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon. Let's pick those out a bit. Eurachlodon is a southeasterly wind. And uh, it's known as a stirrer of waves, gigantic waves. So what was a soft blowing breeze turned into a monstrous storm. Uh, Eurachlodon came from the area, the geographical area of the Levant. The Levant is the coastal region around the Mediterranean, eastern Mediterranean Sea. includes Israel, includes the northern part of the Sinai Peninsula, includes Jordan, includes Syria, includes Lebanon, includes a little bit of uh, southern Turkey, includes Cyprus. All of that area, and if you put a circle around that area, the whole eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea is in that which is an interesting thing because that's where Leviathan uh, oil and gas reserves are that belong to Israel, which is, I believe, part of the spoils that Russia is going to come after, uh, as well as Iran and, and the whole lot of them in Ezekiel 38-39. So that's very interesting. But that's where this storm came from. These, so it changed directions. The, the, the contrary winds changed directions but it produced this tempestuous wind. The word tempestuous is the word we get our English term typhoon from. And we all know what a typhoon is. In the northern hemisphere, it's called a hurricane. In the southern hemisphere, it's called a cyclone. And these winds, these twister-type winds, create these massive, gigantic waves. This was the storm they were in. These consuming waves now. Remember, it was just before it was contrary winds that prevented them from proceeding very quickly. And uh, now they have consuming waves. These waves are engulfing the ship. Verse uh, 15 says, And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. So they just, they gave up and they said, okay, just whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Say Salah, Salah. Whatever will be, will be. Um, not a very good position to hold when you're uh, in the middle of a storm. So what are they going to do besides this, though? Well, they come up with plan B. Plan B is this, beginning in verse 16. And running under a certain island, which was called Clauda, there's that word under again, and it means the same thing. Uh, We had much work to come by the boat. The boat was like a lifeboat, okay? It was a smaller boat uh, because the ship couldn't go all the way to shore, and so they'd climb in the boat and go to shore uh, and get supplies or whatever they needed to do. Why? Would they want to do this in the middle of these tempestuous winds, this typhoon type of storm? Why would they want to do that? 
Well, they wanted to do that because of verse 17. Which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship. So what this is talking about is the frapping of a ship. You might say, well, what in the world is that? Well, that's where they would take a rope or a chain. They would wrap it around the hull of the ship and pull it tight and tie it off so that it would keep the ship from falling apart. And so that's why they needed the boat. They needed to get into the water to wrap that around the ship to secure the ship so it wouldn't fall apart. And fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, uh, the quicksands were uh, sandy areas that were, were stirred up by the waves. And there are those in the Mediterranean Sea even today. They strike sail, which means they let it down, and so were driven. So the first part of plan B was they needed to secure the ship so that it didn't break in pieces. Verse number 18 tells us a second part of plan B. And we exceedingly, uh, we being exceedingly tossed with the tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. So, first day they secured the ship. Second day they lightened it. They threw overboard the cargo of the ship. Verse 19 tells us what happened on the third day. On the third day we cast out with all our own hands the tackling of the ship. The tackling is, is like furniture and equipment and things that they need uh, but to lighten the ship so that it wasn't uh, uh, weighted down as much, they threw it overboard to try and preserve their lives. So what is this plan B? This plan B is much like it is here in Australia. Uh, what is it like here in Australia? Well, you pull up your bootstraps, you tighten your belt, you remove everything that's non-essential, and you press on, determine that you're going to win. Okay, that's the Australian spirit. That's the spirit. That was plan B during these consuming waves. And verse 20 then tells us, And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. They came to the end of their rope, okay? Uh, not because they tied it around the ship, but because they had lost all hope of ever conquering this storm. So what sealed it for them? What, what sealed their mindset that this was not going to work well? The end wasn't going to be favorable. Was the first phrase which says, And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared. The sun and the stars were the navigation instruments of sailing in that day. This storm was so severe that they lost sight of, of how they could get from point A to point B. When that happened, they were like, we have no idea where we're at, 
We have no idea to get where we want to be. We have no idea where we came from. We are absolutely going to die because they lost their way. They lost the navigation capabilities, and so they lost all hope. Sometimes, even we as believers, when we're engaged in a storm of life, will respond by losing all hope. We've lost our way. We can't seem to make a way. So what do we do then? Usually when we lose all hope, we quit. But what happened here? Verse 21 and following to the rest of the passage for this morning. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me, and not to have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. (laughs) Now, the way that reads in our English Bible, it sounds like he's chiding them and saying, I told you so. You remember back then I said, hey, this isn't going to work out too well. But that's not exactly the way it is in the scriptures. And so, how do I come up with that? Because, I mean, that's what it says in the English language. Well, we have to understand what the word abstinence means. Abstinence mostly is defined as silence. He didn't say anything. The only other time he spoke was verses 9 and 10. Now he's speaking again after a long abstinence, and he speaks again. But the word abstinence also has to do with fasting while being silenced. And so he was fasting. He was seeking the face of his God. He was seeking understanding from the one whom he followed. When we lose all hope, beloved, we need to seek the face of our Lord. That's plan C. And so Paul here exhorts them, verse 22, Now I exhort you to be of good cheer. And they're thinking, well, wait a minute. The last time you said something to us, we remember it, you said we're going to lose the cargo, we're going to lose the ship, we're going to lose our lives. What are you talking about now? Be of good cheer. That's not happy news. I mean, losing your life is not happy. What are you talking about? And by the way, the word exhort and the word admonished in verse 9 are the same Greek word. So he's talking, it's the same thing. He's, he's, only this time he's not giving them a warning. He's giving them an encouraging word. And so he, he's giving them a cheerful word. When we're, when we're at the end of our rope, we need cheerful words. Not just cheerful words, and we'll explain a little bit further down the road. But he offers cheerful words in the midst of the storm. For there shall uh, be no loss of any man's life among you, 
but of the ship. We're only of the ship. You're going to lose the ship, Paul, but you're not going to lose any man's life. That's different than what he said the first time. What's the difference? The difference is that the first time was based upon his observation. As he looked at the situation, he saw the danger that was ahead. Now, he's not saying these cheerful words, these encouraging words, because of his observation, but because of verse 23, which says, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. In other words, we have the revelation from the Lord. Folks, we have the revelation from the Lord. It's right here. And we can be encouraged with the cheerful words that he gives us that in the midst of the storm, he is there. We can be encouraged that he will help us through. Paul here is trying to encourage them with cheerful words that they'll make it because God says that they'll make it. And so it's not based on observation now, it's based on revelation. It's based upon the promises of God. You know, when we're in the midst of the storm, we oftentimes forget the promises of God, don't we? We forget that God is near, as we sang earlier. We forget that He's there. Verse 25 says, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. You don't need to fear because I believe that what God said is going to come to pass. In other words, I have faith in God. You need faith in God as well. And we all need faith in God as we're experiencing the storms of life. You know, it reminds me of another storm that took place. One day, Mark chapter 4, the end of the chapter, tells us that the disciples were in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And in that boat was Jesus. And Jesus fell asleep as they traversed the waters. And a storm came up. And the disciples were fearful and they thought they were going to perish. And they awakened the Lord Jesus out of his sleep. And they said, don't you care that we perish? And Jesus stood up. And he said, peace, be still, peace, be still. And immediately the winds died down and the waves flattened out and the water was like glass at the word of the Lord. And the disciples, after Jesus had lightly chided them for their lack of faith, in fact, he said no faith in that chapter. The disciples looked at one another and said, Who is this? Who is this that even the wind 
and the waves obey him. The contrary winds obey him. The, con- the consuming waves obey him. Who is this? It's none other than the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The sovereign of the world who's in control of every situation in my life, every storm in my life. He's well aware of it and he knows what he's doing with it. I can trust him. I, I need faith in him. Just like Paul was saying, I believe God. We need to believe God. He said, how be it? We must be cast upon a certain island. Well, that's cheerful words too, is it not? You're not going to drown in the middle of the, of the sea. We're going to be cast onto a certain island. That's safety, is it not? And uh, there is a way out, in other words. God will preserve our lives. So what do we do? How do we react in the midst of the storms? Is it plan A, the childish wisdom? Is it plan B, just toughen up a bit and press on? Or is it to rely on the promises of God? I hope that you rely on the promises of God. If you're a believer, you know the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him in those storms when they assail. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, you need to know Him. You can know Him. He's waiting for you to trust Him. And He will take care of the storms of life to where you don't have to battle through it. If you'll return tonight, we'll finish up this chapter, which is still the storm, and uh, we'll, we'll see what God has for us with the rest of this passage. Let's pray. Father, help us to have faith in the midst of the storm. Help us to rely on you. We know very little of how to handle the storms of life. But we can trust you. We know that no storm assails us in our lives, but that you have not allowed it. And you've allowed it only to perfect us. And so help us as we set our feet on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and trust him that you will take care of our needs. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.